I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Loud and Local continues on The Rock with Kevin Deers, 99.9 KISW. Hey, what's going on right now? I'm talking with a uh, guitarist for a band called Bitter End. Matt Fox, also uh, from Zero Down. He was uh, he was in Holy Terror. Uh, guitarist, longtime guitarist. for the, They put out a record in 1990 that's... 32 years ago, they put out a record called Harsh Realities, and on August 12th, M-Theory is going to be reissuing this for, for anyone that was, you know, back in the day, they they didn't weren't able to get it on vinyl, maybe their dog chewed it up, or maybe there's someone who's just getting into them now, and they want a, you know, kind of a, a vision of what Seattle metal scene was like, so, you know, first off, welcome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, we really appreciate it. So where are you right now? Are you, you living in Seattle, or where are you living? I live in fabulous Maple Leaf. Um, okay. You know, so kind of, I work in the U district. So yeah. a couple miles North of where I work. Um, uh, uh, the rest of the band is sort of scattered a field. Um, my brother, Chris lives in, uh, Wichita now is raising a family there has been teaching college there for quite a while. He's a philosophy professor. Okay. Um, Russ lives out in Rosalind Cleelum mm-hmm. and Harry is still holding things down in Linwood running his business there. Okay. Right on, man. Well, are you guys still stay in touch and, and hang out? Well, me and my brother obviously do. Um, yeah. Don't talk to the other guys a lot. Um, we've had occasion to, you know, we did uh, reunion shows in 2012, 2016 with my brother living in Wichita. It's just not a thing that happens that much. Although he did pass through town last year. And at the last minute I was doing a benefit show. Um, I got, I got to sit in with him uh, for a couple tunes. We did some Sabbath stuff. So that was fun. Nice. Chris is an amazing bass player. So Anytime I get to sit in with, with my bro and play, it is a treat. And of course, anytime you get to play Black Sabbath, it's a treat too. So, uh, but other than that, you know, we're all, we're grown ups. We all have lives now. Uh, the other guys all have kids, mostly grown kids. My brother's got some little kids. So, um, you know, they keep busy. How crazy is it that 32 years after the release of this record, it's coming out on vinyl and it's getting the nice vinyl treatment. Pretty wild to think, huh? Yeah, it's great. Um, it's interesting because my reference, you know, I've got, copies of in all every format but my um in america harsh realities only came out on cd and cassette if you yeah. remember what cassettes are um, oh yeah i have quite a collection of cassettes <laughs> uh, but i have the music for nations vinyl pressing is sort of my reference uh my my good copy of harsh realities i had, and i forget i think the european distributor might have given it to me or something but it wasn't available in america on vinyl so that's kind of a new thing yeah and it is getting harder to you know i think we sold somewhere around 10,000 copies of it, uh, which is, you know, was respectable at the time. Uh, I think these days that would be astronomical. 
Yeah, well, but then after that, you know, 1992, I think the bar was raised a little higher for what good record sales were. For know? sure. People started to sell a few more records around here. Uh, but, Spe- you know, yeah, so, especially Seattle, yeah. Just a few. Um, but, it, you know, it did pretty well for the kind of record it was. Um, it is still, I see it. I see people asking reasonable amounts for uh, it on eBay, which always entertains me. Uh, but I think it's great that people have an opportunity to, you know, get a copy on vinyl. I think it's going to be like nuclear green vinyl and they've nice. done a really nice job packaging it. Yeah. Um, and, and what was really cool is, so, you know, um, Marco Barbieri is the guy from M theory audio who yeah. contacted us about doing a reissue. Um, and he was someone I knew because he used to write zines back in the day. So even when we were before we were on Metal Blade, you know, we did the whole sending out uh, the Meet Your Maker demo. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did an an independently produced demo before we got our deal. And, you know, I was doing the whole tape trading hustling thing. So Marco was someone I knew from then who um, contacted us out of the blue saying, you know, I've been talking to Metal Blade. They're willing to reissue it. And I was really pleasantly surprised that he was able to make that deal happen. I think that's great. Um, it's been out of print, you know, since 1990. So, uh, who are we to say no, right? Yeah, absolutely. So was it, was it kind of out of nowhere that you felt like this correspondence with Marco for, you know, were you surprised at all? I was rather surprised. Um, you know, we had done someone, um, a few years back and I should be remembering who a label reissued. So we did, we did a, we had a bunch of stuff. It's kind of complicated. So the metal blade deal happened um at the time our AR rep diana cass moved over to combat records okay who were, who were pretty happening and i think pushed bands maybe a little harder than metal blade so we had a, we had a thought that well let's try and get another deal right so we recorded a bunch of stuff that never came out and sometime back um i should know this and i don't uh i was contacted by a small label that put out the have a nice death thing which was the reissue of the meet your maker demo and a bunch of the unreleased later stuff that never came out that was after Harsh Realities. Okay. Um, so that's out there. You can find it. It's Have a Nice Death. Um, yeah. And I should, I'm I'm old and senile, and I can't remember the name of the label that put it out. But it's out there. You can find it. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. But, you know, yeah, to have someone just come out of the blue from, you know, 30 years ago, who was a zine guy, who has, you know, since gone on to do a lot of industry stuff. I think he worked for Century, right? mm-hmm. Century Media maybe for a while or something like that. They have a lot um, of good releases coming out. Yeah. So we were like, oh, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Please put it out. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. So everyone's pretty excited about it. You know, it's, you know, I mean, we're not all going to quit our day jobs over it, but it's just <laughs> nice to know that people have access to, uh, to a cool old record and that, you know, uh, it'll be out again. I think that's a great thing. So with, you know, with this being out in the world now, um, you know, uh, any chance of another reunion? Possibly, you know, um, with my brother's schedule, it's just hard. Um, I don't, and I think, well, the other thing is Russ just had old guy stuff. Sorry, old guy stuff. No worries. Uh, uh, I forget myself. Um, he had major soldier, shoulder surgery, so I don't think he'll be playing for a while. So I don't know if we'll be able to do anything this year to coincide with the release because of that. I mean, I think he had like a full reconstruction of his soldier and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that doesn't mean that down the road we might not do it again. It's just kind of hard to make the schedules all mesh. Um, my brother and his wife teach, so they sort of do this thing where when school's over, um, she's from Malaysia. In fact, they're in um, Malaysia, and then they'll be in Hong Kong uh, for like, and then I'll see him briefly this summer when he passes through town. So mm-hmm. their schedule's kind of complicated and all that. So probably won't happen this year, but definitely is a thing that could happen again in the future. 
Awesome, man. Well, uh, so I'm I'm curious, you know, like so this is kind of a time capsule. So let's let's go back in time. 1990 Seattle metal scene. You know, what was the lay of the land, man? What were the venues you were playing? Was it the off ramp? You know, was it the, the Velvet Elvis? What were these places? <laughs> Velvet Elvis, not really so much. So, OK, it's I've been asked to participate in this photo project. and I'm thinking about this stuff. So I turned 21 in 1987. OK, Um and the first venues at Bitter End was playing at that point. Before that, it was really like independently produced hall shows at places like the Ballard VFW Hall yep. and the Clearview Grange Hall and the Renton Musicians Hall. And then sort of my whole age. And over in Bellevue little, at the skate rink, right? A little before my time. That was, okay. uh, yeah, okay. that's a little before I started doing shows. That would be Lake Hills. A lot of yep. stuff yep. went down. We moved back up here in 83 and Lake Hills sort of. Me and my brother lived in Southern California for a time and moved back up in 83, my senior year. And I think Lake Hills was just sort of going away 84-ish. I went to shows at Gorilla Gardens, Rock Theater, Community World Theater in Tacoma. was a Mm. place we played a lot. Um, That was an all-ages kind of venue. And then every my sort of whole age cohort all turned 21. So we all started, and all of a sudden, uh, which... You know, back then there was a teen dance hall ordinance, so it was yep. hard to do all ages gigs, particularly in the city limits. So a lot of that stuff occurred in more suburban places, you know, like Snohomish or Linwood. Linwood Rollaway was a place, you know, people played. I don't think we did. We Bremerton had Natasha's, right? Natasha's is uh, Natasha's lasted for a while too. Natasha's is in Bremerton. We played. Yep. We actually played there. Oh, might have been in ninety, maybe it was Sacred Reich, but my brain is blurry now yeah um but yeah so locally when we turned when everyone turned 21 we all mostly were playing the central and the vogue right we're okay. really the big places for heavy rock bands yeah. yeah um to an extent meekers had meeker mondays down in, in kent i believe we i saw metal church down there played there a bunch of times yeah i think we played with um heathen there maybe okay uh, so there were a lot of sort of venues and then the off-ramp is a little more of a, I want to say more of a 91, 92 mm-hmm. kind of thing. Okay. And then rock candy opened. So the way it worked back then you had the, the clubs with beer and then there was the bar next door with hard liquor. This is uh-huh. before everywhere had hard liquor. Most places didn't have hard liquor then. Mm-hmm. So you always had the one, two punch. Like it was the Vogue in the frontier room. You drink mm-hmm. beer at the Vogue and maybe smoke a little weed at the Vogue because they there put up with that there. And then you'd go over to the frontier room and Nina would pour you a deadly stiff drink. And then you would sort of float back and forth between them. Rock candy off ramp were sort of neighboring clubs. So it was sort of a lot of the twofer thing. Definitely by 91, 92, um, the off ramp was effectively my living room. Wow. <laughs> I spent a whole lot okay. of rock candy um, and all those places. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah. Weathered wall, I guess, was a place that had a lot of shows. Squid Row was a little more punk. And then there was the whole Lake Union punk scene, the, the Lake Union pub and the storeroom. Um, which I went to, but we didn't play as much because we were a little more metal. Yeah. And all through this, there were still sort of independently produced shows around. So there were still the occasional hall shows and stuff. But once everyone yeah. turned 21, uh, we were able to get into clubs. So we started booking shows in clubs more. Nice. Right on, man. Okay. So, you know, you put out this demo and then you get signed to Metal Blade. How did you guys get on the uh, radar of Metal Blade? Because, you know, there were there were uh, other bands like Panic was on Metal Blade, right? Panic were signed after we were. So Okay, okay. So 89, and I'm trying to remember how. Um, so we were playing at the Riviera in Linwood. Okay. Uh, which was, we opened for Scatterbrain. If you remember Scatterbrain, Don't Call Me Dude. I don't. Uh, one of their first shows in Seattle was at uh, the Riviera. And they, at the time, this is before they broke big, and they were kind of mortified that they were playing a heavy metal steakhouse in Linwood, Washington. That's funny. 
Yeah. Uh, so Diana Cass from Metal Blade, I think maybe Jeff Gilbert invited her out. Oh, awesome. Uh, came and Shout out Jeff there. Gilbert. Classic brain pain on classic KCMU. Pain, Jeff yeah. yeah. Um, and we used to, well, this is a, an aside, um, but we used to every Sunday in my, at what was called the House of Death in the U District, we had brain pain parties for years with like 40 people every Sunday in my house. Herb from uh, John and Quarter told me about those. Yeah, it's kind of legendary. Um, if you remember it, you probably weren't there. Um, <laughs> that sort of thing. It was a little decadent. Um, but uh, yeah, so Jeff, I think, invited Diana Cash. She was in town. Maybe we, I think maybe we booked the gig there because we knew she'd be in town. She had maybe, I think, gotten the copy of the Meet Your Maker demo. Um, and then we did a demo for Metal Blade before Harsh Realities. Um, and we did de- we demoed those songs with Jack and Dino, a lot of the stuff on the record. Nice. Then so Diana got us the deal. So we're probably the only band to ever get a record deal from playing at the Riviera and Linwood. Okay, uh, nice. Shout out River- Riviera and Linwood. I, I don't know what it is now. Um, it may or may not still be there. It was like at <laughs> 196th and 48th or some, you know, it was definitely in the, the depths of Linwood. Um, deep Linwood. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we got the deal. Panic, I think, didn't get signed until maybe 91, 92. They were a little okay. later. Um, I think at that point, Sanctuary were the, the signed metal band in town. Oh, yeah. And they were they started doing quite well. You know, they got the attention of Dave Mustaine, who oh, yeah. did a lot for them. Um, so, yeah, fe- February of 1990, we go to L.A. Um, actually, so before then, Randy Burns. Um, so our, our A&R rep, Diana Cass, knew Randy Burns, who had produced Peace Cells and like Creator. And and a death, bunch of possessed. Yeah. Possessed. Whole bunch Nuclear Assault. Yeah. So this would be somewhere around, I guess he came up around in fall of 89 and he actually stayed at the house of death and did pre-production with us for a week and like stayed in our horrible party house basement wow. and, and showed and worked with us through rehearsals. And we kind of tightened up arrangements and he added some vocal parts and he suggested, you know, the kind of stuff that happens at pre-production where you learn that you have to track everything without solos and then you're, you're going to go fly them in later. And it's just a whole different way of approaching your stuff. If you're a live band, like we were, but he lived the dirtbag life with you for a week. Yeah. And he was an older guy. So in <laughs> retrospect, I really appreciate that because, you know, <laughs> he had to know the vibe. He had to find out now. what the vibe was like, dude. He had I to think look- also he had gotten sober at that point. So I'm sure we were a little challenging. Oh, OK, yes, um, yes, but he yes. came up, did pre-production with us, um, found a, a studio in L.A. that was like the cheapest studio you could get lockout in that had a full-on two-inch studer deck and a neve board which is the great you know the the classic neve board i am told that the recording console that we worked on actually jeff beck recorded there and back on i guess so i was like thrilled right that's awesome so we go to la uh spend you know whatever it is a week and a half recording um they had never seen a band drink that much coffee before we um we weren't we were pretty good about not party and while we were working the seattle band you gotta have a gimmick we drank coffee's your gimmick and this is before starbucks had taken over the universe right so yes what's with all the coffee right (laughs) and which is also why the tempos on the record probably a little pushed i think there you go Um, there you go but uh so we had a lot of fun making the record down there um it was a pretty amazing experience i was 22 or 23 or whatever i was 23 i guess yeah um and it was just you know a, a heck of a good time i learned a lot from randy um, this is back before they had automation. So like on the final mix, you would have a 24 channel board in front of you and you would sit there and like everyone would be writing mutes on. So like the drum intro, you got mm-hmm. 20, 20 hands on mutes. And then when everything comes in, you, and then you're sitting yeah. there and go, and at this point, okay, we got to pull this, push this fader right there for that little guitar part. 
and it's this is all happening in real time this is all automated now right yeah um but this is the the old stone age uh, method of recording where it was all really in real time and i definitely learned a heck of a lot from randy and i'm still very grateful to him for uh, what he did for us and uh, the stuff i learned awesome man well okay so you know the the album's released um you know you get a music video on headbangers ball what was that like must have been a pretty surreal thing watching your music video on headbangers ball yeah i think it only aired a couple times um, okay okay, okay. I, I, it was we were pretty we were a pretty minor band there were still a lot of major bands out there i think <laughs> we sort of had to lean on metal blade to do a video okay and we shot that video at the, um, they finally tore it down, but it was what was um, called Crown Studios, which was right off the West Seattle Bridge. Um, and if you look the video up, it's interesting because the, you could see Port of Seattle trains going behind us and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. That is now a giant active space building. When you come off the West Seattle Bridge and go toward Alki, they, and we were rehearsing there up until several years ago, Zero Down and had a room there. Um, Heartwood, my sort of fun country band thing I did with Russ, we had a room there right up until the the last moment and it was such a great rehearsal space um yeah. it was totally a hang and a party and cheap yeah <laughs> which does not exist anymore in seattle yep, yep. Um, so that building's gone now but uh it's, it, we shot it there a guy named tom ensign did the video and uh you could i think you still find the video on like youtube and stuff it's it's out there nice. um and you can see what we look like when we were young and skinny and cute and all that because we <laughs> we're old men now um but you but still got you your hair. See, you still got your hair. That's more than I even, even I can say. Most of it. I'm I'm at 55. I'm grateful for any hair that's still on my head. There you go. Head. You know, um, so it goes, right? Um, but yeah, it, so we did the video. It didn't get a lot of play. I think it got more play on kind of specialized local shows, which is probably sure. for the kind of band we were, which was was really fine, you know. Yeah. MTV play would have been great, we would have been bigger, but it was still cool because I think if you had a regional video show like Bomb Shelter here, mm-hmm. you know, it got played on a lot of sort of regional shows that I probably never even really knew about, I think. Um, but yeah, it was cool. I mean, we got, we didn't get enough tours. We got to tour with DRI for a while. That nice. was fun. Yeah. Those guys would probably be fun to party with. They were super nice guys. They were, um, it was interesting time. They were getting a little bit of a backlash for going metal. With their, yeah. Their for crossover. Yeah. Um, but the shows were wild. I mean, we definitely did saw some crazy stuff at those shows. I bet. Um, there was a guy, well, and I, I hope he's all right, but you know, like fell off a third floor balcony at Kiguanas in Tijuana, you know, like all kinds of just wild stuff. Yeah. Um, and that was a super fun tour. Um, and then we toured with Sacred Reich briefly and that was super nice. great. Those are, they're great guys. They were doing the American way record, which is, yeah. you know, at the time I liked more than injustice for all. I thought it was a better record. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that good a record it's and to me, I put that record on, it still holds up. Um, and um rest in peace jason rainey their original rhythm guitar player is no longer with us um passed on last year or year before or something like that mm-hmm. um but you know so we had some you know, not, not huge tours but good tours and we got a yeah. lot of good shows in town open for a lot of great bands had a you know a really good time so it's all very it's all a very pleasant memory for sure it was it was a hell of a way to spend my early 20s <laughs> So back in that time, you know, Metal Shop was going. Was it was it Kathy Faulkner was the host of Metal Shop? Do you remember? I believe so. Yeah. Did you guys ever get played on Metal Shop? Did you ever oh, get yeah. to hang I mean, out with local, Kathy? Local radio was pretty kind to us. We awesome. might even predate Metal Shop though. I'm I think like maybe, Metal yeah. Shop might be Steve more Slayton was. Yeah. It might have been Slayton. Yeah, you might be right. And you know, this is what happens when you get old and <laughs> other things happen in in the intervening thirty years. If my brother were doing this interview, he remembers everything, ever, everything that right? ever happened. He's he's like the family memory. I'm I'm the guy who lives in a, a pleasant blur. Um, 
but yeah, Metal Shop, I don't, I think Metal Shop might be later. That more, might be more toward the end of the run on Bitter End. Maybe, maybe more like 91, 92. I just could okay. be up in um, mid 92. Okay. Um, I had joined Dr. Unknown and was playing in two bands and Dr. Unknown was happening. And, you know, me and Chris had been doing Bitter End at that point since like 1985 with Harry. And it was, you know, it just felt like the world was changing. His taste more than mine was changing. And I think we just looked at each other one day at rehearsal and said, you know, it's just, it's been fun, you know, and it, it was just one of those things. It was organic. It was fine. You know, I don't think it was a, a traumatic. It wasn't like there was an incident. It was just, you know, the world was moving on. We were getting older. We had been doing it a while. I think Chris was interested in, he wound up playing on Jeff Tate from Queensryche solo record nice. some years after that, yeah. which is a whole other complicated story yeah. that comes out of uh, the Dr. Unknown Dinsdale days. When Jeff Tate managed um, the band Dinsdale, I was in with Jeff Carroll. Dr. Yeah. Unknown. Tried to get us a deal, didn't happen. So he just grabbed Jeff and half of our songs and made a solo record, which was awesome because I'm like, good, <laughs> go make a record with Jeff Tate. There you <laughs> go. Um, and then my brother wound up playing on that record and touring with those guys. So, nice. so yeah, we've all done, you know, this and that. I, you know, I, I've had a lot of fun playing it. I was, I was like the founding bass player of Rockaroki. So I learned how to play bass in what was like my really, my only top 40 experience, which is where I would go out and grind it out for three, four hours a night for a living. Sure. Um, but it was learning how to play bass and it was a lot of fun for a while. That one was fun till it wasn't another thing, you know, it's like, I just, I guess for me, it's like, I love playing music and I still mm -hmm. love playing music. COVID kind of put a little bit of a damper on that. I still get occasional gigs, but it's, it's been slow since COVID, but sure. Uh, you know, I just, I don't want to, I want to do what I want to do. And if I don't yeah. like what I'm doing, um, it's not what I want to do. So, so we look at the timeline of bitter end and, it looks as though it, if, if I were to like make a picture in my head of just not talking to you, but just looking at it on paper, I would say grunge killed bitter end. But that's not the truth. Um, It's, you know, you could look at it and say that. I think in a way, like my brother was looking at bands like Living Color, right, which is yeah. more of an 80s band. But, you know, he wanted to do more of a kaleidoscopic, really full range kind of thing because he's that kind of musician. Yeah. Um. I don't think it, it certainly didn't help us get a second deal. <laughs> you know, mm. I mean, you know, shopping for a metal band to get a deal. We were sort of right in between. Right. I mean, some years after that, all of a sudden metal bands, you know, was it rock and roll? They're super suckers. Right. They aren't playing rock and roll records this year or whatever. Because uh, you're a you know, Seattle it, band, but you're not that kind of Seattle yeah, band. Right. Know, it wasn't what labels were looking for. Yeah. Um, Dr. Unknown just sort of missed the boat on that one. Mm -hmm. the, um, we were competing for a deal at the same time as Candlebox, and they got the deal instead of us. Oh, well, ah. so it goes. Uh, good for you guys. Um, but yeah, that was one of the things. And I think, you know, I think Chris was getting a little out of the metal thing. We had mm -hmm. sort of started to the later Bitter End stuff. So if you go backwards, so 85, 86, 87 even, um, we woodshedded for a long time. And I wrote a lot of really complicated music that was impossible to sing over. Okay. Which, because I was not the singer at that point. I didn't quite realize. Yeah. And we tried out a lot of people who couldn't sing. Um, very, this, when you, this is back when you would advertise in the rocket for. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to the, the rocket. rocket. You know, there'd yeah. be like a musician's wanted section and the flakiest, most non-performing people tended to be lead singers. Okay. Uh, so you'd get a lot of guys that say still the same way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would show up and then not sing at rehearsal. Oh no, my voice is stored there, you know, and then it'd string you along for two months. You'd finally get, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, get don't the carry out of my gear. band. I don't carry <laughs> um, gear. 
<laughs> make a note of that time marker. You can you can delete that. Oh, um, I'll be listening know, to the just, whole thing. So I, I can't help myself sometimes. So I wound up having to sing. Um, and in the course of learning to sing, I learned that you need to do things like leave room for vocals and songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you know the music sort of changed in bitter end. We got, I mean, we were still very riffy, very technical, but it, there would be spaces where you could sing a little more. Um, and that's just a thing I learned, you know, and is, is a thing I'm still learning because it's, you know, songwriting is a getting good at it is a, a lifelong process unless you're a genius, which most people aren't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had moved into a direction that was a little more slower. Um, mm-hmm. Dare I say one of the songs, a uh, sludge off of uh, the what became Have a Nice Death. It was maybe a little Sabbathy and grungy. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the world had changed a little bit. Um we had changed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think it helped. I mean, I think, yeah, in terms of trying to find a follow-up after we left metal blade, definitely not the best timing for us. Um, what was that like being in Seattle and being this band, you know, that, you know, had been going for quite a while now. And and then all of a sudden all eyes are on Seattle, you know, A&R's descending upon Seattle. Was that, was that a pretty surreal moment? It was weird. See, the thing for me was I joined Doctor Unknown in February of 92. Okay. And we were sort of in that. Like yeah. Doctor Unknown, we had Jeff Carroll, who was an amazing singer. And the kind of singer you get on the radio. And I am not really a radio style singer. Sure. You know, it, except for Metal Shop, maybe. But you know what I'm saying? Like mainstream yeah, yeah, yeah. radio. No, I, I know. It's a yeah, different yeah. kind of singing. Um, and so it was a lot of fun to play with Jeff. Um, and also it was uh, Derek and Ray, who'd been an heir apparent great Mm -hmm. rhythm section yes and you know we were just we were definitely firing on all cylinders there and getting a lot of label interest we got a publishing deal with polygram so i got a taste of it it just didn't happen sure um and that you know might be part of um bitter end you know it was fun not to have because bitter end was kind of my you know really i was the motivated driving force of that band i wanted it right so i was working my ass off doing hustling promoting being the band leader being the guy i was pushing everyone to do this that and the other thing which I think also is you know, made probably people think of as bossy and annoying, which sure. probably sure. I was at okay. 23. Um, you, know, you said it. You, you said it. Yeah. You learn. It's okay. You know, yeah. I was, you know, young and testosterone-y. Um, now I'm old and semi-testosterone. Um, <laughs> life goes on. Um, so, you know, things were changing. So we, but it was interesting to see, um, you know, the thing is really 94, I guess, is the year, right? Where it just went absolutely berserk. Because you had Soundgarden 1990 or so, 89 with Loud Love being pretty big, right? Yeah. I was actually, at the time I wrote for Backlash Magazine, and Don, this is not The Stranger, Don was, had really strict ethics about what I was allowed to write about. So I wrote about kind of the hard rock glammy scene. Okay. And I was the first person in town to write about Alice in Chains. Wow. Who were great. Yeah. And um, I was buddies with, and I was going to a lot of their shows and hanging mm-hmm. out a lot with them. Jerry didn't have a car. I used to, me and Jerry, I, I had a car. So me and Jerry used to go flyering. I would nice. we'd go, we'd drive around and put up flyers for our, our respective bands. Um, so I was definitely hanging with a lot of those bands and it was a lot of fun, but that's, you know, that's still almost more like conventional hard rock as opposed to grunge at that point. It's a little sure. more Guns N' Roses you scene maybe. Um, but we played a lot of mixed bills with a lot of those bands. Yeah. And they, they did not stratify bands so much by what your genre was so there was a lot more crossover bills then which was great and a lot of fun um but it was you know come 94 yeah it was that's really where the feeding uh, frenzy it all really hit the fan and you know it was pretty amazing to watch you know um that's you know i stopped seeing alice because you know they were like you know living in tour buses and being rock stars and stuff you know so good for them absolutely so 
again, what we're talking about is Bitter End and, and, and the re-release of Harsh Realities on vinyl. Finally, after 32 years, you can pick it up on vinyl through M3 Theory Audio. going to be released on August 12th. Um, so, man, so, you know, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Matt. And uh, for Metal Shop and for the uh, for Loud and Local and for the whole, you know, KISW local community and, and for Seattle, do you have any final words, you know, before we go out there and we pick up this record? Um, you know, thanks so much for all the support that, you know, Bitter End and all the bands I've ever been involved with have gotten both from KISW because KISW has definitely for a station sort of of its mainstream size and weight really has been supportive of local bands for a long time. And that yeah. is awesome. And I love that KSW still does that. Um, rock is not dead kids. I mean, you know, it, it may not get the attention in mainstream media that, that other genres do, but there's still a lot of dedicated people plugging away. I love that rock band has created a generation of like 13 year old kids who are out there um, really cranking it out and trying to learn how to play the classic stuff in the classic way where you play in real time and it's not all pieced together where, okay, here's boom, tap, boom, tap, sequence it out. And then, you know, cut and paste everything. There's really the whole school of rock thing is just really great. And again, thanks to KSW and to Seattle. Um, And I, you know, thanks to clubs like Slim's and Daryl's where they let old men like me play still and we can hang (laughs) out still. Uh, So that's a great thing. I think, you know, I go to New, I went to New York city a couple years ago. I could not find live rock and roll in New York city to save my life biggest city in america no rock none and you know you go to seattle and we have on any given weekend you know covid kind of put an end to it for a while but now that you know we're coming out of that any given weekend there are five ten great shows going on and that is a really amazing thing to have been and occasionally still able to be a part of and for that i am very grateful it's a lot of fun this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thank you so much. We're going to jam a song from this record. That's actually the title track, Harsh Realities. And, uh, dude, thank you so much for taking the time. Pick up this vinyl on, on M-Theory and... Uh, I hopefully I'll be seeing you around. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Absolutely.
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. 